guys, so are you guys ready to dive into this? Give this a shot. Yeah, I mean, your internet's looking good when it pops up on mine. Okay, uh, well, let's give it a go, and yeah, hopefully it holds together. I mean, if Tasso can do it with his, you know, mountain internet, which is yeah. uh, apparently by connecting sticks together and birds yeah. flying. They got the Campbell soup cans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a yeah. Yeah. Soup, uh, soup can phone internet. Mm -hmm. Sweet. Yep. All right, we'll make That's do. We'll gag. make do. Yes. Good bit we just did there. All right, well, let's let's get into this. Uh, let's let's stop annoying people with our cold open. Um, this is episode number thirty-two of the Flatiron Syndicate podcast. Uh, we are here today with the the usual suspects. We got Tasso from OTC Racing, Dussex from uh, DSX Motorsports, Nigel WRX Buddy. We got Viet Nine One Nine Garage, and one of the topics that has been bounced around the shop a good deal lately. Uh, Nigel, uh, largely due to you, is is the send it mentality versus the pursuit of perfection. And we've all fallen into this. I'm falling. I have fallen into this. Nigel, you are swimming in this right now. But what one of the things we've talked about is just like, man, it's these are really kind of diametrically opposed things. Things that man, it's just it's so easy to get stuck in between these two mindsets of just like stick a, stick a stamp on it and just send it. Let's, let's go. Like, it doesn't matter what the state of the car is. Let's just do this. Or, you know, I, I cannot, we cannot run the car. We cannot take the car to the track. It has to be perfect before we go. So that's, that's what I thought we would, we would have a conversation about that. And Tasso, you, you said you, uh, you especially want to be involved with this. So maybe let's start with you. What are your, what are your thoughts? Which camp are you in? Well, so for one, I thought we were going to talk about driving send it versus driving perfection. Uh, I think the, the car build the car build side is good too. We can talk about both. Why not? Right? Why not? Let's yeah. do it. Um, on the car side, uh, your shit's never going to be done. There's no perfection. There's no True. finish ever. Right? So send it. End of. End of statement. Can have said, just, you're, you're full on, <laughs> full on short. Yeah. yeah, I mean, no, it's to an extent, right? Good episode, guys. Yeah. All right. Bye. Yeah, <laughs> right, guys. To an extent, right? I mean, uh, so uh, like, there's safety things to consider, sure, right? Like, yeah. if I didn't have a fully installed cage, I wouldn't go do my racing. My brakes were really bad. You know, they're never perfect, and I'm always working on them. But brakes are one of those things where you know, they kind of matter. So, you know, yeah. send it with perfection, which is, uh, weirdly, and we'll talk about this later, I hope, uh, also the same kind of mentality for the driving side, as a, you know, in the car yeah. as well. So it, it really, and, and it, even, it, even coming at it from the car standpoint, it is directly relevant to the driving standpoint, but we'll, we'll maybe circle back to that. So maybe Nigel, Tell everybody at home why you, this is this is kind of uh, where you are where you're living right now. Uh, uh, every single thing on my car is like a decision whether we just do it as is and get it ready as fast as we can, or take the time to perfect it and make sure it's not going to fail. 
every single thing in the car top to bottom that's that we've had to look at like even down to like you know routing the aos lines like which hoses we want to get we want to reuse these hoses it's easy because we don't have to run to map it to get new hoses just send it it's fine it'll be fine right there's only like a little kink in the hose it's okay <laughs> um but it, what it comes down to for me is like I'm not the kind of person that's ever going to do it again later. Like I hear a lot of people say things like, well, just do it this way for now. And then later on, when you have more time, take a second look at it and fix it the better way that time. I'm never, ever going to look at it a second time. That, Mm -hmm. that, that, That future thing doesn't happen. If I don't do it right the first time, it won't get done again at all. And then I'm having to do the work from the start the second time and I don't want to do the work in the first place. <laughs> that is a really good point. Uh, like I, because I've had the car for my car for years now, it's gone through a couple of iterations. I frequently find stuff that was just good enough before. And I'm like, what the hell was I thinking? Like mm. it's that much worse to do even, you know, afterwards. So, yeah. So I guess it depends on your goal, right? If your goal is to just get in your case, like, get to a hill climb like there's a hill climb in three weeks the car will be ready in three weeks to do this hill climb send it get it ready we're gonna run it uh for me i'm the opposite i specifically haven't bought any race tickets for this year because i know the car won't be ready in time in a way that i'm comfortable with it Hmm. all right Hmm? all year all year the year yeah well and and i would say that for for my mindset where where this really becomes a a tipping point is the concern of causing damage so if there's a concern about causing damage then that's where i am hesitant to send it and i i I at least want to be confident that i'm not going to cause any damage if i'm going to run the car because i kind of to your point nigel it's, I don't want to touch it again, but I don't want to have to touch it again because I, I took it to the track and I ran the car, but it was distinctly not right and then had a catastrophic failure. But, you know, trying to make sure that everything is perfect and ready to go, I mean, it can be a trap where then you just never take the car because it's just never ready. Yeah, so I'm running so into that a bit Yeah, because I'm not, I haven't made it to any events yet this year. I'm probably not going to make it to grid life. I'm probably not going to make it to any of the NASA events that I had planned. But, well, yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't think you're that far out. But, I mean, the, the biggest issue I, in it, right now, the, the biggest issue is, is the synchro. So, well, so, the biggest issue is cost. Well, because now cost. there's more unexpected expenses. So I could right. buy race tickets and not afford to finish fixing the car. Or right. I could afford to finish fixing the car and not, not be able tickets. to afford to go racing. So that's, that's kind of the line where I'm at, where like, that's where the, the per, it's not perfection for me, but it's just like making sure it's good enough so that I, if I go to an event, it's worth the cost of admission. Like yeah. I have to factor in, if it's a, an event I'm traveling to, like Ryan can relate to this really well, traveling across the country to go to an event, it, it's now no longer just how much was the ticket. It's yeah. fuel. It's all your expenses along the way. It's buying an RV. 
or a hotel <laughs> or a place to stay, figuring out accommodations, right? It's there's so much more in that one weekend of cost breakdown than just like, oh, it's a $300 ticket. Just go run it. True. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know if you want to speak to that, Ryan, about the, the cost of, of an event and, and kind of the mindset or, or how you how you make that choice of go, no go, if, especially if, it's, if it's, there's travel involved. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, a, a good, I mean, it kind of sucks because this weekend is the uh, uh, SCCA time trials nationals and I wanted to go, mm-hmm. but that big part of it, like you're saying is the cost of it. And even if the car's ready, which unfortunately my car's kind of broke right now, but even if it's ready, like it's still thousands of dollars. Like I figure how much it's going to cost for fuel. Fortunately, I don't have to worry too much about uh, uh, hotel expenses, but, you know, my cost for fuel and transport is a lot more than, say, maybe what Nigel's is because it probably gets better fuel economy. But I save a couple hundred dollars or have more lavish, you know, expense or um, experience. But it's all kind of like that. I mean, it is kind of expensive and you do think about it, but it's really like the last thing I think about. I, I get so hyped personally about the events. But I, th- I think about that probably too little. And then it gets you in a situation where like you really just can't until you can get back to where you can get back to thinking about it too little, but I don't know. So it sounds like you're maybe leaning a little bit towards send it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> well, and I guess to your point, Tasso, I mean, it, it maybe at this point it's worth, worth kind of bringing it to the driving part too. One thing that I've, I've really realized to a, to a large degree in the last couple of times that I went to the track, which for me, it's been a little bit, but if you're concerned about the car, like it, it's, it's so easy if you're worried about the car not being ready, not being perfect to have that be your focus instead of being on track and doing what you need to do on track. And then all of a sudden I find myself driving in the gauges. I'm, I'm more concerned about what the gauges are telling me. And it's like, I could potentially drive off the track and it wouldn't matter because you know, this gauge is happy. It's bumpy, but but everything is okay now. So I'll just I'll just drive through the bumps and it, it'll smooth out at some point. Yeah. Or you hit yeah, a it's a, it's a conscious effort and it's part actually of my um, kind of psychological preparation um, for every run or every race that I go to is the like conscious acknowledgement of the inadequacies or of the things of the things that I'm worried about and then along with that acknowledgement it's the kind of compartmentalization of it right so I Mm -hmm. I have to consciously put those things into a box and then put them you know put them aside for a little while um and it's it's the same thing you know both driving and prep um where it's I, I because I have acknowledged that I will never be totally happy with my car acknowledge that I can't wait for that to go racing because I've never thought that there's always something on the back of my mind in racing. It helps me acknowledge that, that aside and then focus on the task at hand. And it's, uh, you know, um, like Bucky Lassick started to talk about it, um, about like how extreme sports or, or athletes and stuff like that, um, how they take to a lot of the stuff because of conscious effort. I think it was, did we, I might be confusing another conversation as well, but, Nonetheless, it's something that, you know, um, you know, especially extreme sports, extreme sports athletes, 
just because I'm more familiar with them, but I'm guessing any athlete at a high level or any driver at a high level, any, any, anyone that is functioning at a high level, um, a large part of what they do is acknowledgement of shortcoming, like, you know, frankly, and, and with myself, you know, it's not even just car prep, it's even my own skill, the own, my own way I'm doing a section or something like that. Um, there's a number of things and any number of facets that I acknowledge and then have to move them aside so that, so that I can focus on the task at hand. And it's part of actually also, uh, I think, what draws a lot of people to this kind of activity is it forces you to focus and it forces you to put other stuff out of your mind if you want to do it successfully. Um, you know, I listened to a podcast not too long ago of uh, Ryan Hughes, the motocross guy, um, was with this other guy. And what he was talking about was, was that and kind of the, the meditative aspect of any of these activities that require your full attention. So, um, so to your question, for me, it is a, a big part of my conscious psychological preparation. My purposeful preparation is, is not allowing myself to look at those gauges, not allowing myself to be focused on, oh, this isn't going to be quite right, but instead focus on, okay, clean braking markers, you know, clean lines, stay on, stay on the high traction area, stuff like that, and focus more proactively versus worry about stuff. You know what I mean? For sure. It's it's one of those things that I I really became aware of, like thinking back on on the last time I was driving when I was worried about my car because like, man, I, I mean, I don't know what I did. Like, I mean, I was just, I could tell you what happened with the gauges, but just actually being on Mm -hmm. track, I had no idea. And it's just, my focus was not there. And, and that's like, so it, I think just from a driving standpoint, kind of you have to, put your, make your decision about like, I'm going to, the car's going to be perfect or I'm going to put it out of my mind and I'm just going to go and do this. And then you have to apply your driving, you know, just once, once you've made your peace with that decision. So I can, I can apply it to, to both here because like, I know that I have to have some kind of, some higher level of like uh, comfort with what I've done to the car to make it like, to make sure it's going to make it through a weekend, for example because I know that on track, I have zero mechanical sympathy. Uh, like mm. on track, I'm going to attack the curbs. If that's the faster line, I'm going to drive into the dirt. If that's the fastest line, like the car is going to get the crap beat out of it every single lap because I have that comfort that I've spent a little bit of extra time or money or effort or whatever, building the car to handle my particular driving style. Yeah. And I mean, there's reality to that. And it's a, a, another thought I had, um, I don't know, a couple of thoughts ago now in this conversation uh, about, you know, the sentiment mentality is never uh, a complete ignorance of the other, you know, kind of thoughts there. It's, you can give that impression, you know, like, oh, this guy just gets after it. This guy just sends it or whatever. And there are some people that do that, and they're generally explosively failing, right? You know, their their shit is always broken. They're always in the dirt. They're always spinning. They're always crashing. They always have a broken bone, something like that, right? Um, yeah. There are people that are like that. But, but for a lot of time, you think to yourself, man, this guy like, or this person seems like they're always out there on the weekend. They seem like they're always getting after it. 
Um, I would argue that there's a lot more kind of like what you're describing, you know, there's a preparation to give them the ability to give off that impression to other people around them. Right. The calculated risk. Right. Yeah. Or, or, yeah. And if you're not calculating or tabulating the risk, when you're going out there on that sentimentality, you're going to be like, like Tasa saying one of those dudes who freaking wheel flies off. It's crazy to see, like to feel like I will leave so many things alone or just like accept that something is the way that it is and then get it at an event. And then just to see the kind of failures that other people have, I'm like, dude, what, what were you even thinking? Like, how did you even draw that conclusion that that would be okay? Well, and, and I mean, would you agree? It would seem to me like if in the, in the, in the guy under, under the header of car prep, if you make the car as perfect as possible, as perfect as you possibly can, like you said, Tasha, you can never be 100%, but do your very, very best to make the car ready to take whatever you're about to do with it, make it ready. Does that then facilitate you being able to really compartmentalize your driving and just like, once I'm on track, whatever is faster is what I'm doing, period. Like if, if it's like, being really abusive right. to the transmission, to the suspension, like taking whatever the, the, the line that is the most, the, the quickest, but also the most punishing to the suspension. That's what we're doing because I'm going as fast as I can. Yeah. Definitely in, in sprint racing for sure too, like time attack or hill climb or whatever, you know, you, you have to be a little bit more reserved when you're driving an endurance, which I think Tasso can attest to, but you know, I was getting out of, into a car um, right after uh, we won't mention his name, um, driver. And like the driver's telling me, man, the, the brakes are really warped. Um, it pulls hard to the right. Uh, there's flat spots on the tires and I'm getting, I'm driving this thing. Like I'm not driving this thing that hard to feel any of that stuff, but I'm still running like almost as fast as that other driver was, but more consistently. And so, I mean, you almost each discipline in racing is kind of have its own like accepted level of scent too. Right. It's like yeah. in sprint racing or hill climb or whatever, when it's the one, we'll call it the perfect lap, but like the fastest lap, your one fastest lap. And, you know, people are probably listening with uh, um, Nigel saying, driving the dirt, where's that the fastest line? Most people have never been or near on Willow. You know, sometimes <laughs> you are driving and you're cutting just that tiny little bit and riding at that very edge. And shit, sometimes that's hard on the car. But, yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah, there's a, there are a couple corners, uh, especially like at Land's End, the hill climb, I'm thinking. Something about the way they constructed that road, the inside ditches frequently have big just knife-edge rocks in them. Um, ditches are fast if you can use them, but your suspension, your control arms, your tires need to survive. Your wheels need to survive that impact. And, it's, uh, mm-hmm. and that's one place in particular we're talking about. It's you know even in a sprint format. Even with a you know a five minute run, it's still um, the send it mentality is still calculated in that case. Or you know, if you had a solid run, yeah, I'm gonna take that ditch, I'm gonna pound that rock because mm-hmm. I have a solid base rundown. This is the one to to see, but it's calculated in that case. It, it right. outwardly of sendedness, right? Oh, yeah. the ditch anyway. It's like no, you calculated. All right, I'm on a brand of tire I trust. I'm not on cheap. Red rally tires, you know, I'm, I'm at a ride height that I like. I know where that rock is now. I have a good baseline run. But yeah, let's mm-hmm. turn on the send it. Yeah. Yeah. But in a well, you know, calculated manner. 
And, and rally is one of those where I think even as a driver, you're in, in endurance to your point too, Ryan, where there, you know that the, you know that the, the carnage, the potential for carnage is high and the reward, if you can navigate damage or navigate risk is you get to the finish line. And if you get to the finish line, you're going to be in the top 50%. Mm-hmm. So it's like you're, you're managing the car a lot more because of how like tenuous a balance there is with the terrain or, or like with yeah. endurance racing, but not, not the terrain necessarily, but the time frame. The fact yeah. that that car is having to, be, having to be run for hours, not minutes. Right. And so you, you can't focus on being fast in any given minute because you've got to save the car so that it will run for mm-hmm. hours instead. And that just that changes the, the mentality. And the other yeah. part of it too is you, you in endurance racing and probably in like um, an ST, like super touring and stuff like that, going 100% doesn't leave you a lot of options if something else that's unpredictable happens. You know, like you don't know when that lemons engine is going to just absolutely grenade and just leave a bunch of oil on the track. You know, you, you've got to leave that like that 20% left to have that out, you know, like, yeah, I could drive this car at a hundred percent for probably two, 20 minutes or something. But if one thing happens, I'm getting black flagged and that's going to hurt me a lot more or damage the car or wreck the car. It's going to hurt the team a lot more than if I went 80% and was able to navigate past that one, that one incident, you know? Right. Do you think that sentiment mentality is different in endurance racing for like, you know, maybe making, the fuel lasts a little bit longer, like sending it in terms of like pushing the limits of your, your tires. Like can the tires last another stint or, mm-hmm. you know, can you stay out for a couple extra laps? Like, is there still that kind of mentality there? I think where you get the biggest send it mentality in endurance racing is passing <laughs> because you're not, you have to, I mean, that's that calculated risk, right? You're like, all right, if I pass on the inside and I have to do two tires off, what's the curbing going to be like? Or if I'm going to pass on the outside, am I going to have enough room for this dude to see me so he doesn't slam into me? I think the biggest send it aspect of it is because there's not, there's no such thing as the perfect pass really, you know? So you have to kind of, you're making do with a lot of these different things. And the biggest thing that you're working against is the other human variable you know, the other driver that's on the track and stuff and whether they see you or not. I mean, there was, I mean, a couple of times when I felt like I could have just like pushed, like, dude, get away. Like, give me some room. Like could have pushed against their car to get them away from me. Like that's, that's how close some of those passes were. So, I mean, yeah, there's, we did take a chance on the fuel in the purple car um, that did win the, the endurance race on our team with the fuel. And it was like, all right, once you get that guy in your rearview mirror, you just pedal the car just enough to stay ahead of them. Um, but up until that point, though, it was like, well, we're going to go as hard as we can until we pass that guy. And if we happen to run out of fuel, then I guess we lose. But right. instead of getting second place, you know, it was either first or nothing, you know, from that from that perspective, too. And it's crazy, I mean, to think about it like that. Yeah, that's calculated, though. I mean, it's yep, a, right. exactly. It's a calculated sin right there. Mm-hmm. I know – um, the Lawsons have a decent amount of experience with their cars and with lemons now and to the point mm-hmm. where the two car team, mm-hmm. um, you know, so 
yeah, fuel strategy, tire strategy can be ascend, um, but it's ascend with whether it's, it's you know, on a laptop or on a legal mm-hmm. pad or just in your brain, there's data, there's data yeah. behind mm-hmm. experience and stuff. So and maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's one I point think, is that like send it doesn't mean just careless. Right. You no, know, maybe yeah, send it, send it can mean like it's a calculated send versus just a, hopefully it blows up. Yeah. Yeah. There's that. Uh, I'm starting to sound like the success for send is uh, you have to you have to take into account all the sacrifices that you're potentially making, yeah. or that maneuver, or that mindset, or whatever that be. I mean, you could definitely send it, but like Tasso was saying, um, without having any understanding of what the repercussions are, or what you're really foregoing. You know, I mean, you could have pretty catastrophic failure. Have you guys followed um, Ken Block's posts? He did a big series about the uh, ain't care hashtag okay. and a bunch of like pictures of rally cars or other, there's a bunch of other stuff in there. Um, but like, you know, cars flinging around with the, the whole rear end of the car is shifted to the side because he hit a tree and is mm-hmm. continuing the stage or, you know, pieces falling off or, you know, two tires, like the Fernando Alonso Formula One where he, uh, in like Baku a few years ago where he came in, did a whole lap on two two tires and then finished the race out and got points from it. And it's like, a, they talk a lot about like the ain't care mentality where like you're going to push through and you're going to fight for that win no matter what happens. Um, I feel like it ignores the point where like, it feels like they have unlimited budget in those situations. <laughs> and the driver is in a situation where he also doesn't have to work on the car or maybe necessarily interact with the people who work on his car. Mm-hmm. I think there's a, there's a big social in you know, social media influencing. They're all cliches and buzzwords at this point, but there's been a large social influence from a lot of the ain't care. Um, and it's the same mentality that's gone back, you know, for some time in a bunch of ways but you know like the it's not cool to care or it's uh it's not cool to try hard and and all this kind of stuff Mm -hmm. folks if you pay attention the folks that peddle that as their as kind of their product right you know the hoonigans and you know current of current times the hoonigans travis pastranas stuff like that these are extremely extremely calculated organizations right mm-hmm. even the the way that they sell you that they don't care is extremely careful mm-hmm. and people eat it up you know i don't want to i don't want this to come across like uh oh these kids these days don't get it or something like that because that's not what i'm trying to say it is mm-hmm. um no, don't take it on the surface no There's- yeah so it's, it's not it's not a kids these days don't get it they don't understand or people are stupid, uh, oh, whatever. It's not that. Um, but I think the more people become aware of exactly what they're buying um, and right. that's what they're doing, you know, whether it's buying uh, or merchandise from these organizations or just watching their videos, right? You're, you're buying that experience and you're, you're giving them your time and your advertised eyes at that point, right? So it's, mm-hmm. um, you are buying that mentality from these people who are selling it to you. Um, but it's extremely, um, 
it's interesting, really, really interesting to see how that has kind of made its way through motorsports, made its way through, um, you know, just generational mentality at this point. Uh, mm. That I mean, because it, those folks at the high level, they're they're selling the or whatever it is. You're right. Those guys aren't working on their cars. They do have really big budgets. But it's at the lower level now where you have grassroots rally guys, say, for example, that are like, oh, well, smack the tree, finishing on a flat tire, ain't care, you know. And it's, and it's, it's having an impact now. Grassroots motorsports, you know, whether it always did. And, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm cool with it too, right? Look, I, at Grid Life last year doing the rally sprint thing, I got a flat tire. I enjoyed driving back through the pits and all these pretty little asphalt cars with my, with my, you know, flat tire driving back to my pit to, to throw it back on and feeling tough and feeling like the rally thing. And it's a long part of the culture of rally and it's been pressed on regardless. It goes back farther than ain't care. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been around for a long time. It's a long part of the culture, but, but there has been a, a marked purposeful, not send it, but a calculated sale of send it mentality, um, you know, to an entire generation of motorsports or automotive enthusiasts. And that's my rant. Sure. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, and, and I think it's, I think probably with, with, maybe with, with both schools of these, of these thoughts, if you let yourself get wrapped up entirely in either one of them, the, the completely, I like zero shits given, I'm going, let's send it, or the car has to be 100% perfect either one of those can be problematic. Yeah. And, and so it's like to realize that there's, that there's levels and there's depths to these, these approaches that you have to be aware of. Um, yeah. And, and just kind of aware of how it hits you and you kind of have to make your decision about where you fall and go from there. And that, Sometimes can, you that can change over time, right? Viet? Wait, wait, say that again. Uh, cutting out. Sorry, that, that mentality of like either send it or, or finding perfection, like that can change over time with your build, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's always calculated, like, right? Like, I mean, yeah. at first when you don't have money, you always wanted to send it, right? Because you just want to get out there, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Um, like kind of my build right now kind of speaks like that. Um, like I was just using whatever I could just to get out. I mean, just send it just so I can have seat time. Right. Yeah. Um, but it was always calculated. Like I wouldn't risk anybody else's life. You know, if I like spun out or a wheel fell off or something, right. like, I would take that into consideration um, before like sending it out. Like it's, it's always, calculated you always have to take in consideration of not just you there's other people involved when you're on track always right um and then i mean like i try to build my car so i can just send it anyone can just send it in my car like i don't really care if anyone breaks anything in my car it's gonna happen like if a gear goes out and you still want to drive it cool drive it i mean like it's already broken (laughs) you know um, but like if it, 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 if a wheel falls off, I mean like, yeah, you, you better, you better chill out. Right. But that's just with yeah. my car. I mean yeah. like, that's my car. Like when I'm working on other people's car, 
I try to make it as perfect as possible because that's not my life, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. That's not my build. That's not my baby, you know? Yeah. When, when you're doing the work and somebody else is going to sit in the driver's seat, you, you, is, is at that point is you, you, as the mechanic, you have to, you sometimes even regardless of what the driver tells you, you have to make sure that you, know, when you hand them the keys and you say, this car is good to go on track, that you, you have a high level of confidence that, that you're not putting that person at risk. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's why like, when I was crewing for a rally, that was, that was really tough. Yeah. Like that was super tough, especially when you know, some things were kind of sketchy, like wheel bearings right. weren't that great. And like, mm -hmm. you couldn't do anything about it because you have to get that car out so he can drive. In a limited mm -hmm. amount of time, like in a service. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. how about this in that situation? Um, I mean, you point and it happens frequently in motorsports, right? And I'm wondering your thoughts on, uh, do you tell the driver, Hey man, just so you know, this isn't perfect. Be aware. Or do you leave that off of their, off of their, you know, ability to, to think about stuff? Do we, do we clean up their compartmentalization or their psyche for driving and not tell them? Or where is that, where's that line drawn, you know? That, that's, that's good, I think that depends good. on the driver a lot. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, like, there's, there's some drivers where if you tell them anything at all is wrong, and this is where, like, like crew chief mentality – if you tell them anything at all is wrong, then they're they're going to be driving. They're going to come out of their their focus. They're going to be driving in the gauges. They're not going to be going at all quick. But if you know that like the thing that might be a a, a liability is is a very low risk and you, it shouldn't slow the car down. If you tell that to the driver that's going to be really affected by it, then you're you're almost taking yourself out of it just by giving them that information. And then there's other drivers where it's like. You know, you almost have to exaggerate. Like, hey, if you go to wide open <laughs> throttle, um, uh, your your rear wheels are going to fall off, and the car's probably going to catch on fire. So just don't go wide open <laughs> throttle, and you'll be okay. But if you go wide open throttle, you you yeah, I mean, things are going to go very badly very quickly when it's not anywhere near as bad because they just don't have any of that filter. Like they get in that driver's seat, the red mist comes in, and they are just going full beans like from from the word go. Hmm. It's uh, uh, this last uh, rally or this SCCA time trials is kind of like that. I, I got into a buddy of mine's car and he got into my car and I told him, I was like, all right, man, well, this thing's got a ton of grip. It should be pretty easy to drive. And then don't do anything crazy. You'll be fine. And he's like, yeah, my tires get really greasy. Uh, it's got no ABS. Um, and it's, it's really skippy. Well, like our definitions of what was okay and what was sketchy were like totally different. So I get in his car and I'm driving. It's like, oh, this is like easy, like Sunday morning, you know. This thing doesn't skip. The tires don't get greasy. Like the brakes are just fine. He gets in my car and he literally drives it straight off the track with the quickness. I'm like, maybe, <laughs> maybe we should have had the same. We should have compared notes to see what the same standard is. Uh, you know, yeah. greasy tires, touchy <laughs> brakes, and what like, like skipping. You know, a car that hops. Yeah. And maybe so, what we're seeing here is it just doesn't matter what you drive. You're comfortable in it. And it's just might be because now also with the lemons car as well. I mean, yeah. maybe we're seeing a pattern here where DSX uh, ain't care. We ain't care. We got, uh, there's this Japanese term and I've been using it a lot lately, especially, especially here at PPIR. But the, the term is Genji Jimbutsu. And what it basically means is um, go and see. 
So sometimes when somebody tells you like, hey, there's a, you know, no power in this certain place or, hey, your car looks weird in this spot or, hey, this, that, and the other. Sometimes you have to like take those within a consideration as like, you know, we'll call it like um, potential facts towards a statement, but then write your own statement. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Where like, yep. all right, you, you say you're, you don't have ABS, is your brakes really touchy and, um, and the car gets greasy. Well, I'm going to go out there and drive the car and I'm going to feel for myself what it feels like. And whereas say my buddy who was driving my car is like, oh, he said the car's really good. The car's got tons of grip. Cool. And then drives it without finding and making that own statement himself and then rewriting a whole different, you know, outcome. And so, mm-hmm. and maybe that, maybe that's part of it, you know, that's, that's a Anytime huge time you get in somebody else's car, you know, you kind of write your own statement, work, it, work, work into it a little bit. It, it's almost, it's a, it's a level of driver's skill where you can get in a driver's seat of any car and you're going to be able to give the car inputs like with brakes, with throttle, with steering, and, and basically like get like an assessment of the car. And then once you have that assessment, then you can drive the car versus right. people that if you don't have enough of a sense of like, does this car turn in or not? Do, do the brakes work on this car or not? What's, what's the grip level in these mm-hmm. tires? If you can't tell, then you're just going to blow past that limit. Like you could, you could have mm-hmm. like, I mean, you probably had decently sticky tires on the car when the, when the guy went off. If you can't yeah. tell like what the level of grip is, what kind of speed the car can carry into a corner, you're just going to go bl- blow right past that, that threshold. And then, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're which is adding, which is adding data and calculations to your send, right? I mean, it's, yep. that's literally yeah. what we're driving here is, is, uh, what was the term again? The Japanese calculated send it. Oh, no, Genji no. Jimbutsu. Genji, Genji Jimbutsu. It's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. That's so a really good one. Yeah. I yeah. Like and it. It, and yeah. It, that's, there's another part of it too, where like, if you, if you have a car and that like relevant, this is very relevant to rally. I'd say even for, for, like what you said via with the wheel bearing issues or whatnot. So many times, if you, if you have an impact on a, in a rally and you have a 20, 30, one hour service where like the car rolls in and you just, you have to get the car functional. You've got to get the car to the point where it can get from point A to point B. Sometimes even quickness doesn't matter because with the rally, it's like, you know, if you can just get through these last two stages, then you have overnight to work on the car and you can get it better. But if you can't get through those last two stages, now you DNF for the day, might DNF for the rally. Um, you know, so, so now it's like, you just have to get the car through. So mechanically you can do what you can, but then as a driver, you can get in the car and you've got to think, okay, well, I've got to go quick enough that I'm not a hazard to people, but I've got to, I've got to kind of nurse this thing through to get to you know, the end mm-hmm. of these two stages. And that's where like the Genji Jimbutsu would come what you know right to the top is like you've got to mm-hmm. get in that driver's seat right they did stuff hopefully it's better hopefully it's different but i've got to assess this car now mm-hmm. get that data in and then now apply that data to these next two stages so i can get through it yeah absolutely it's or I, or you're like me and you do all your own work so you don't have an opportunity to not <laughs> work <out>. yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean rally is probably such a it is such a difficult discipline to drive in, especially at, like if you don't have a, a very large crew. Yeah. I mean, just, yeah, the it's very a long, tiring, hot day <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. yeah and I, 
I think the best, I think we've summarized it here on the podcast too. A, a rally is basically a car crash that takes place over about 150 miles. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah. multiple. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes multiple car crashes. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that you were kind of mentioned there that I want to touch on too, is that you kind of take that sentimentality in the sense to like, you're not in a perfect car and you're not going to drive the perfect line and you're not going to have the perfect day, but what is, what's the value and still pushing it, still going to that next level. And like, okay, I know that I, you know, these are the tools. I know what I got with the car. Let me see what's really there. And then go from there. Like sometimes there's that value and like, I'll take it a step back to my time trials. I just did in the yellow car a couple of weeks ago or a week ago, I had this moment where I was on a flyer and I was going to upset and topple Scotty with a car with no arrow, with less power. I'm like, let's go. Yep. And traffic was happening right in front of me. And I was like, well, I can either back off and just say, okay, and set it up. But you never know what the next thing, what lies beyond that. Or it was send it and it might not be the best outcome but it's going to be my best outcome up to this point and maybe the only chance I get. And so I did that with the, with the yellow cars coming in Pueblo in the turn nine and turn 10. And in the turn nine, I had to take the inside line in this car. They pointed me by, but drove deep in the brake. Some took the inside line. I got onto it, dropped two tires is all off the track. I just stayed into it. The car jumped back on. It kind of jumped a little bit more. And I didn't run the 38 that I wanted that I had like predicted, but I still ran a 39 and that ended up being my best time for the whole weekend. And if I would have just like backed off, I wouldn't have got another run in that session because of the fuel of the car, if I would just backed off, I wouldn't have ran that 39 and I never got an opportunity beyond that because mostly with the car driving off the track and debating and stuff um, that uh, we get to do it again. So Sometimes that you have to have that sentimentality in the sense of like, all right, these are the cards I'm dealt with right now. It's the evil that I know and not the evil that I don't. And I'm just going to, you know, play the hand that I have. And then hopefully I can build on something better than that. But if I don't, I won't regret not making that choice. And I think regret's yeah. one of those big things, right? Oh, for sure. Well, and, and so just to clarify, so you debated a tire in that move? No, I did no. not. Later, oh, okay. the car, when I let my buddy drive it, debeated oh, the tire. Okay. And so I wasn't able to drive my car beyond that. So I was glad in that moment, like, okay, I didn't run the 38s or the 138 I wanted, but I still ran a 139, and that was enough to get me second gotcha. place and unlimited. Yeah. You know, so it's just kind of one of those situations, you know. It's one of those, It's man, it's, you know what it, what it seems like? It, it all is coming down to calculated risk, which mm -hmm. I guess shouldn't really be a surprise but it's it's it comes down to calculated risk like you you have the move you're, you've got the point by mm -hmm. can you know or I, can i put two wheels off and like what is my confidence that the car can take it and i'm going to be able to maintain control of the car mm -hmm. yeah. let's do this and and then you take that advantage i think it's almost worth maybe after this conversation since I mean, I feel like the idea between the send it and have to have a perfect mentality is like the send it is like all this variable of like acceptable calculated risks. Mm -hmm. And then if it has to be perfect where there are no acceptable risks, like it has to be as perfect as it absolutely can be. And there's no room off of that for that acceptable risk. 
Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Like, well, my wheel bearings aren't perfect. I'm not going out. That's a risk. Or I, uh, uh, we took damage at that rally or whatever, or I'm not going to drive the car into that ditch right there because it could be a rock. That's a risk. Like I'm only going to drive in this very tiny window of acceptable, you know, no risk behavior. I feel like right. that's, that's it. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, that is, that is the trap. I mean, it, it, it almost that it doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, and it like the other, the other thought that occurs to me is like, you kind of have to take a chance or two and, and take that calculator risk and go on track, see what you can do as a driver. And then as you do that, you're going to build up experience to know like how, how much of a risk is this really like, like mm-hmm. a wheel bearing. Like one of the things that we've started to realize, especially like on the Pike Speed car, well, more on the rally car really than anything is like super wheel bearings can feel totally fine and they are trashed, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's like when you, so like kind of, kind of like on a, in the rally car, like when the wheel bearing starts to feel bad, it's like this thing is probably going to come out in four pieces when we, when we, you know, undo this axle nut yeah. and, and pull the axle out, it's probably time, but it's like up until that point, like it really wasn't an issue, um, even though it might not have been perfect. And like, you just learn little things like that, like this is worth really being concerned about. And this is not as as much of a value mm-hmm. being concerned about like an overheating issue for instance so like overheating is bad it doesn't necessarily mean that you're not going to finish but you might cause damage like mm-hmm. that is going to require a lot of going into the engine to fix long term mm-hmm. and then like is it worth pushing the car and overheating it to get the results or do you do you back off cool it down so that you're not going to have to do as much mechanical work to, mm-hmm. to continue yeah. to run the car long term well, and that's, I mean, you brought up a really good point about that experience too with, I mean, that experience is a really important set of information to help you take those calculated risks. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something um, uh, we talk about at work all the time or any kind of, uh, any kind of situation where you're taking risks, whether it's mm-hmm. motor racing or, or whatever. Um, and slideshow, right? It's when you can have, the numbers of oh I know that in overheating whatever water boils at 212 coolant's going to raise it to this temperature radiator cap's going to raise it to this temperature now is when aluminum melts everything in the world about how overheating hurts a motor but until you have the experience so you have the slide in your experience slideshow mm-hmm. oh I know that this is the amount that I can get away with sending in this overheating condition right now or this is the amount that I can get away with taking this curb because I know, um, you know, how my car reacts. I know what my tires can do. I know that, you know, I have some experience in taking the little wiggle wiggle swap that happens after you take a pretty good hit when you're all loaded up sideways and stuff like that. And you had a, you had your own mental slideshow to make the assessment in the instant the other factor, like especially in that case, that comes into that calculated send um, is the time decision triangle, or oftentimes you're having to make the decision you can with a really limited amount of time, you know? So picture that, yeah. you know, that triangle or like, you know, as time goes on, I'll go the other way. <laughs> there you go. As time goes on, you have fewer and fewer decisions you can make. Yeah. The best decision you have right now, because you have some decisions to choose from, if you had waited a little bit longer, and you hesitated or you, you kind of balked at the situation, 
and suddenly you weren't committed to either a pass in the corner or to checking up, and suddenly you're just going to rear end the guy. I mean, that's, yeah. that's the, the point of that, yeah. is you, you didn't go for the pass. You didn't take that calculated send. You didn't pull back because you calculated the send wasn't possible, and you ended up in the worst of all conditions and just rear ending the guy instead of, instead of doing the other. So having that slideshow to draw from and also having that awareness of, you know, when you're having to make that call in the moment, um, you know, having awareness of those things allowed you to make a calculated sense that the case wasn't perfect, but paid off, you know, the best, yeah. or the good, a good decision right now is better than the best decision too late, you know, and especially in your case, you, you weren't going to get another chance at that. I, I mean, you didn't know at the time, but right. You, right. The move, you went for the move with your calculated send. Right. And the opportunity presented itself and you made the best of it. And that's, yeah. and that, that's the whole point of the calculated send. Yeah. Yep. And that bit of experience really like that talks to like Ryan and his friend swapping cars. Like I had a driver coach tell me a story that he was like encouraging one of his other drivers to go a little bit faster through a corner. Like, Oh, it looks like you can carry a little bit more speed through here. And that was the extent of the conversation in the driver coach's mind. It was two to three miles an hour at apex faster. This dude came in and tried to go 15 miles an hour faster than they had. <laughs> they had completely different ideas based on experience levels of what uh -huh. a little bit faster meant. Yeah. So this dude ended up like writing off his car and was like, well, just do what you said. I tried to go a little bit faster. Yes. In his mind, in his limited experience, a little bit was still like, oh, it's only 15 miles an hour. Right. Right. <laughs> like, so, but now imagine his experience slideshow is expanded so much, yeah. but also like, not a very calculated send, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. The coach had a much oh, more calculated version in mind and the student. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Math didn't add up. <laughs> it, it's, uh -huh. almost, it's almost like you need to drive and you need to get the seat time and you need to get out there so that you can build up your calculation ability in the moment. <laughs> like that's it, it. And I mean, really like driving experience is knowing what those calculated risks are, knowing what those decisions are. You know, so we have yeah. a joke here about like how much built, yeah. Like how how much how much built is your car, your motor, whatever. But like it, the perfectionism kind of goes on to that side of it. But then there should also be a second half of that, which is like how much send. How much send? <laughs> yeah. Like like are you going to go full send? Like just throw everything to the breeze and like like you were saying like if yeah. we run out of fuel we lose. That's that's like full send mentality. It's mm -hmm. all or nothing. We're going to win or we're going to be dead last and there's no in-between. Yeah. Like, exactly. Or is it like 90% send? Yeah. Like just leave a little bit left because I know that if I do too much, I'm going to have everybody who's working on my car pissed off at me and they're not going to want to work on this car when I break it again and I have to do all the work myself. <laughs> like, Yeah. And, yeah. and it's just, it's experience. I mean, there's, there, I don't think there's an answer other than experience because like you can't make a really educated decision without having a basis to make that decision. Mm -hmm. And, and so it's like, it's like a, instead of a decision triangle toss, it'd be like a, a decision, I don't know, octagon where seven <laughs> of the decisions aren't even in the triangle. You're like, what, what do I want for lunch? And you just go off the corner because like, well, that has nothing to do with what you're doing, but you didn't even know that because you just have no basis for comparison. Yeah. You know, and, and you've, you've got to build up that, build up that experience, build up the basis for comparison. 
that decision, that decision-making triangle that Tasso was talking about kind of reminds me of that choice I made to pass that Mustang and go for that 139. But it also reminds me of the time that, uh, I'm going to call him out a little bit, that uh, Nigel tried to, he decided last minute that he was going to make the pass on Fiona at Road American and to blow his transmission because of it. And it's kind of one of those things that's like, as the, like, as he's saying, Nigel might have been thinking, and maybe he can talk about it here, but like, this is the result if this works well. This is the result if it doesn't work well. And unfortunately, had the doesn't work well result. And I got lucky and had the works okay result. But I mean, it is really like that. Like you can see it in, in Nigel's video and even in my video, there was like definitely a, a moment where it's like, I'm going for it. And then Nigel's like at the very last minute, Nigel's like, well, Fiona kind of helped made that decision for you too, I think, right? Because she literally is like, oh, I'm going to go right here. And Nigel's decision triangle, which now was a much smaller, much pointier yeah, triangle, but, like know. a flat line, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> turned into that, you know, like, oh, shit, I can't go for it. And, I mean, it is – I mean, that's just that experience, you know, like you're saying. You got to get those – You, it almost seems like if you try so hard to have that expectation of what perfect is without driving at all or having any coaching or any education or any background, your definition of perfect is probably not acceptable to somebody like say Tasso, whose level of send it is so much broader. Maybe somebody's definition of what they think is perfect is without experience. Does that make sense? You know, everyone's pursuit of what the ideal situation is continues to grow when they live through kind of less than ideal situations that turned out okay, or less than ideal situations that turned really bad. You know, I think it's, I think it's what happens when like two different decision triangles overlap and like talking about another person making a decision. Like I'm basing my split second choice on what they're doing in this moment. Mm -hmm. They're basing their split second choice on maybe what I'm doing, maybe something else. I don't know because they have a different triangle than me. Mm -hmm. So like there's, there's so much more to consider than just like, if you're, if you're on track day on your own, there's a whole different set of decisions that you can make based on the cars around you because their reactions and interactions mm-hmm. are going to be completely different than the cars that you see in a time trials event or in mm-hmm. an endurance racing event. Yeah. Or, or a driver that you've been on track with multiple times and you know what their behavior is like and what their experience is like versus mm-hmm. a driver in a car that you've never seen before. And you have no idea what their behavior or experience is like. You don't, you don't know what their triangle is or if they have the decision <laughs> octagon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What are they or thinking about? Shit. Do I want mayonnaise or Dijon mustard on my sandwich? Oh, shit, there's a car. <laughs> yep. Yep. Oh. Well, and, so, so we, we I, I talked about ask, it now. Hold on. I, I want to ask this question, and this might be too big because we've been going a little bit. What To what degree do you think you have to have a mechanical understanding of the car or how the car works? to really make an informed decision in some of these situations or, or do you think that your experience in the driver's seat is really all that matters in, in that, in that moment? Uh, Related, related, but parallel. I mean, it's, you have to have, if you're going to make the send it decision based on a mechanical condition, you need to have mechanical experience. If you're going to make a send it decision based on, uh, a track dynamic or track awareness of somebody else or our past or something like that, then you need to make that send a decision based on that experience. It's in any situation, 
the decision that you're having, the calculation that you're having to make needs to be based on the experience with that situation. I mean, look at all the pro drivers out there who don't know anything about cars, though. You know, like literally pro Mm -hmm. drivers will hop in these cars. Some of them are like 17 years old, don't know anything about the mechanics of it. So you're, they don't have like a level of send it. Their send it is just like, I go out and drive like that send it and that perfection. That's not even like a, a window for them. You know, that's just what they get paid to do. And it comes down to like the engineers and the crew chief and stuff. They're making, like John said before, they're making that decision for that driver, even though that driver doesn't get to make that decision up front. Like he doesn't have the knowledge, you know, like when you're a kid, Maybe you just want to grab the hot stove, but then your parents slap your hands like, hey, you don't know yet that that's too hot for your hand. And so in those pro teams, sometimes those drivers don't get the – they just reach for the hot stove all the time, and instead the crew chiefs and engineers are kind of trying to steer them away from it with knowing the knowledge about the car, making sure that the car – like being comfortable saying like, you know what, this car is just not safe enough for somebody who doesn't know that the oven's too hot not to touch it, you know? If you if you said to a driver, you know, hey, the wheel bearing looks like it's going to let go. Does it does it matter up front if the driver knows exactly what that's going to do to the car's handling, or in one turn when they figure it out, is that enough? <laughs> well, that, well, and, and what's what's interesting is we actually ran into that scenario with a Pikes Peak car. Un- unknowingly, that was the issue. But the, the issue was, uh, this is a, a handful of years ago, our driver, Scott, had this issue where he had to double pump the brakes on one corner. It was the same corner, and it was almost every time he hit that corner, but it was only that corner, and we were bleeding the brakes like crazy. We were, we were looking at the pads, looking at the rotors, and what we ended up finding, and I think this has been a couple of years ago, but if memory serves, it wasn't actually until we got the car back after race week. So is like from him, for him as a, from a driver's standpoint, I know that I have to double pump the brakes on this one corner. I don't know why, but I know that I have to do it. I'm going to do yeah. it because if I don't double pump them, I don't have brakes at this corner. And what it ended up being, we put it back on the, on the rack and we're, we're going over the car like a week later and realized, wait a minute, this wheel bearing is bad. Yeah. And we took it apart and like this wheel bearing is destroyed. I bet you this is what was causing so something is, is like a bump right before the corner or something. Something was was setting up the wheel bearing so that the, the rotor would wobble just enough to the point where in that one circumstance going up that one corner that he was getting uh, you know, the pedal, uh, the pads were getting put knocked back. So he had to yeah. double pump the brakes, but it was okay everywhere else. Yeah. Um, it didn't stop him. He knew what he had to do as a driver to deal with the situation. And in that case, yeah. it was a limited enough window that, that it was, it was manageable. Um, I would argue that that's a calculated send on his part based yeah. on experience though. I mean, it's, uh, you know, he, he, in the first time it happened in the first practice or whatever, he would have come across that. And then the conditions realized he built not only an experience with sometimes you have to double pump, uh, yeah but also I have to double pump in this corner and that, that slotted in there. So it was no longer, that part didn't need to be a time decision triangle. It was pre-planned at that point. Um, and so it, it became a calculated send at that point for him. Yeah. What the mechanical reason was. Um, and it's. Well, it was, it was predictable and it was manageable. 
Yeah. It right. was it was one corner. It was always that corner, and there was a solution. Like yeah. he and, he in the driver's seat had a solution that worked, and like if it was a random occurrence that started randomly happening, um, you that's get a lot where more nervous. Yeah. You get more nervous. The confidence <laughs> yeah. goes down. Yeah. And you then start losing time because you're early break into every corner kind of thing. Yeah. Um, exactly. Which is really frustrating to deal with. Um, yeah. Like I hate that. But it's uh, I mean, so to like even kind of to Ryan's point a second ago on the crew chief, you know, versus versus the driver. the driver to make those, those calculated risks. Is it the crew chief? You know, my kind of argument there would be that it's the send, right. You know, or at that point, you know, you have a team functioning with, it needs to be so cohesive or right? all those parts of those team need to be there that it's the team's send it mentality that's being calculated and the team's experience coming together. Um, so it's not, you know, maybe individually, sure, that driver doesn't have the mechanical whatever um, to understand or a slideshow or, you know, to make a decision or a calculated send. But in that case, the team is as a combination of crew chief as a representative of the entire mechanical support and then driver as a representative of the kind of executional aspect of uh of that effort and so it's you know I, th I think that the calculated send is transferable in that case to the folks that are actually making the car make the race happen which is not just mm -hmm. in that case yeah yeah well and, and kind of thinking about this example that we just talked through with with the one corner where the where the brake pedal goes funny in the driver's seat you you have you have your experience and you have your inputs that you can control and if you can manage the car based on your inputs that you can control and, and what you could feel from the car, that builds confidence, even, even if it's not an ideal situation. It builds confidence because you, you have that predictability and then you can, you can manage and you can improve or you can push from that baseline. Um, and, and I think probably if, if you have a driver that really doesn't have a lot of mechanical experience or knowledge, that that experience in the driver's seat is probably what they're making the majority of those calls from mm -hmm. is what what does it feel like how predictable is it you know mm -hmm. and and for a driver like that unpredictability will kill all confidence oh yeah because because if you yeah. can't figure out what the car is going to do when you're going to do it you're not going to push you're not going to late break you're not going to like really aggressively turn in and carry a lot of speed in the corner because it worked twice and it didn't work three times i have no idea what i'm yeah. going to get yeah yeah I, yeah, I'd rather have a car that understeers every corner than a car that oversteers sometimes, understeers sometimes, and sometimes is perfect, you know? Yeah. So, because at least you can deal with that. Yeah. yeah. But, but to a certain again, extent, like, as, as if where you can help yourself as a, as a driver, if you have mechanical experiences, when you have some of that odd behavior, if you can pay attention to what you're doing with the car, what the, what the track is doing, what the road is doing, whatever sometimes that can give you some clues as far as well, this is why it's always, it, it's always oversteering when I go turn left, but it plows when I turn right. There's, mm -hmm. there's something, there's something that's causing this, you know, it gives you more to kind of pull from maybe to talk to the crew yeah. chief or whatever, uh, try and find out what the issue is to correct it. You know how, like when you apply for a job, they, a lot of times, or maybe sometimes, but or say like, this is the college level education you have to have or like 10 years of experience you know, or a combination of the two, whatever, to be qualified. I mean, you could probably almost say that with driving. So, like, we're all down looking at this list of smiling faces, bearded faces, 
and realize that we don't have college education level driving experience and we don't all necessarily have college level, uh, level education mechanical experience. So having a little bit more mechanical knowledge might make up for a little lack of experience or having more experience makes up for a little lack of that mechanical knowledge, but they kind of work hand in hand. And if you're really strong in one, it can help you with the other and vice versa. I mean, like those pro drivers, for the most part, with the exception of maybe the gentleman drivers, a lot of those dudes are in that seat because they've got a resume of experience that dates back decades, yeah. you know, and for us amateurs, you know, and I'll just pick on Nigel a little bit. Nigel's mechanical experience is a little on the low end and he jumped in and like wants to have the big experience and he kind of had to deal with and kind of grow with those things together. And he's more on the like, ah, I'm, I want it to be more perfect. And maybe me and Paso have maybe a lot more mechanical experience are like, fuck it. Like I know what's going to happen when my wheel falls off. And if it's the left <laughs> one, I'm going to go to the left. And if it's the right one, I'm going to go to the right. I mean, you know, I've, I've lost wheels before, so I have that experience. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, so both the experience and the mechanical aptitude, I think, kind of helps quite a bit with that, you know, that pyramid of knowledge as you as we attack this. But from an amateur level, I mean, it's it's super advantageous to have both. And um, but it's it's easy to it's easier to learn stuff. And it, I don't know, it's just like, it takes time no matter what. And I think that's yeah. just the way it is, you know. Well, it's, it's something it, we've talked about now for an hour. We've kind of talked around and said it in a bunch of different ways. But, you know, for the, for the person that's still sitting here, like, hey, what's the, what's the answer to your question? Um, we, you can't put up – you can't under – you can't overstate the importance of experience. It's really important. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, like it, it – uh, you know, calculated versus send, uh, mechanical versus driving, all of it, every single part of it, you need to get experience. And the more experience, the more seat time, the more familiarity you have with the mechanics of your car, whatever it is, it allows you to take larger and larger calculated risks. We've talked about seat time and how important it is. We've talked about working on your car. We've talked about, you know, how important it is to get out there. You know, so to some extent, I guess, you know, go hard on the send it or get out there however you can, but then use the experience you have as you gain it to take larger and larger calculated risks mm -hmm. to the actual dangerous part of the implementation, you know, the whether the danger is damage to your vehicle or to yourself or to someone else. Yeah. I mean, the whole time you just said that, also, I was thinking to myself, did, we, did it just come back to seat time? Yeah. Is, yeah. It, is it all about seat time? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I hate that because I hate when people tell me that the, the the nut I should be working on is the one behind the wheel. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Dude. Yeah. Just sell me my turbo. All right. <laughs> Your Motec <laughs> exhaust system. Yeah. Motec system exhaust, right? Well, it's a lot of NOS, Brian. <laughs> Professionals have that kind of NOS. That's right. But, well, and I, I think that the, the caveat to this is realize <laughs> that you need to be building up your 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 uh, criteria for making for making those calls like it, there's i think even just just having that in the back of your mind as you're driving like just you're, you're building up your catalog of experience and if you have a mechanical issue like and you, you realize this you think back like okay well all right so the wheel bearing went out what did that mean you know like mm -hmm. oh i had to do this you know or the alignment mm -hmm. was off and that meant that the car did this when i turned left and did that when i turned right you're building up your experience, you're building up your catalog, your, your slideshow of experience so that you're, you're going to make a better decision next. And I think 
maybe that's the, the biggest thing to take from this conversation is like, it is all calculated based on your experience. And so like, make sure you're paying attention to all of that data that you're taking in, in the driver's seat mm -hmm. or, or with the car, every time you go out, because you're, you're going to be better the next time and the next time and the next time, if you can, if you can kind of keep that all together. Yeah. It, it's yeah. like science, you know, you have your educated guests and when you're in fifth grade, making a thing about, you know, solar systems versus when you're in college talking black yeah. hole physics, your yeah. educated guest gets more and more refined, the more you learn through experience and education, yeah. you know, yeah. where it's, it might not be that you have this, you might've went out on this, like your very first time We're like, all right, well, John says, let's go and send it. It's not going to be a big risk. You know, I'm just going to go out for it. But maybe the risk was like infinitesimal and you had no idea, like fifth yeah. grade understanding of solar systems. But as you get more and more experience and stuff and you can hone in on things, your risk, which seemed really small before, now it's a lot easier to gauge how much of a risk it is. Because that's, and, I think, really what it comes yeah. down to. Right? And the accuracy of your guess. Yeah. Even, so so there, there's your wag and your swag, your yeah. wild-ass guess, and your super wild-ass guess. <laughs> and and so like, when, when you come in it. there. You just come so, out with that. <laughs> so... Actually, I think we have that in our science, in my science class. Uh, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, so it's like, you know, if you have no experience, you can take a super wireless guess and you, you're off in the field. You have no idea. But like you build up your experience and like, like in your exact situation, I'm like, I'm going to go two wheels off. I think I can handle this. It's, it's a, it's yeah. a, it's wild, but like, let's try it. But it worked. Yeah. It, it, it was, it was, it, it was it felt more like a, a reach but like you had the experience so like it was really not that much of a reach there mm -hmm. your chance of accuracy chances of being right are going to be a bunch higher the more experience that you have yeah mm -hmm. yeah and when you see someone that you think is sending it as long as they're not a total fool it's because they made that they made that send decision based mm -hmm. on the experience that you're gathering right now you know? mm -hmm. well but, and don't worry you'll you'll understand black physics later Someday. <laughs> Nobody well, understands black hole physics. Craziest <laughs> class I took in college. Right. I'm not gonna lie. But it, I mean, it's a conversation. Someone just the other day was out riding my bike, and someone asked me, "I don't know how you downhill guys, you know, do that." Like, well, we, we don't just start out doing it, you know. Right. Yeah. You, yeah. You don't. You don't just start out as a Formula One driver or as a Ryan Dussex. You start out at a track day. You start out That's at right. an SCCA rally cross, and you knock some cones over, and you do a bad job, and then, yeah. and then how do I get better? Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Yeah. Or Keep won't. hitting those cones. Then which, there's going to be a time when you're like, I didn't hit any yeah. cones. Holy shit. Maybe you just right. suck, but probably not. Probably you yeah. just do it more, you know? So. Yep. Man. Doing it. I still can't C believe time. it all came, comes down to seat time again. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's almost like seat time is important. It's yeah. almost like. You know, uh, one variable we didn't talk about is having a professionally built car with somebody with no experience. Like that situation doesn't really work. It works the other yeah. way. You know, uh, a professional driver with maybe like a clapped out lemons car, sure. that can kind of work, you know. But the other way, like how many GT3 cars do you see out there getting wrecked by just rich dudes? Like shit happens all the time, you know. Well, yeah. and, and it's for exactly the reason, like when you talk to your buddy, like, the car, good level of grip. The car handles pretty well. It's you know, it's 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 predictable. You should have a good experience and just right off the track. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yank. Like what? What he? It's like uh, he took a swag, but uh, <laughs> it was like yeah. <laughs> he he no. thought it was a wag, but it turned out it was a swag. <laughs> yeah. 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 You went fifteen exactly. miles an hour too fast through the apex. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. If he's lucky, it was only 15. Yeah. Oh, man. It's, uh, well, all right. Well, as we have, the Japanese say, screw around and find out. So That's right. Say, say it again, right? What's, what's the saying? Genji Jimbutsu. Genji Jimbutsu. Genji uh, Jimbutsu. Those are words to live by right there. All right. <laughs> Well, I think I think we have we've hit this topic every which way we can. So let's let's call it good there. So thanks everybody for listening. Thanks for sticking around to the end. Um, thanks to Ryan, Paso, Nigel, Viet for being here. And uh, until next time, stay tuned with Flatirons Tuning. <laughs>